to the Three Way Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Three Way Podcast. Uh, we have a very special guest today, our filmmaker Michael Aloyan. Welcome, Michael. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you. So I just want to jump into it because you are a visionary when it comes to filmmaking, and you started doing this at a young age. What influenced you to just jump into cinema? Mostly, it was uh, my dad. He's a, he's a big cinephile, and uh, from a really really young age, we'd kind of we'd go to movies together every weekend. So we started with the, with the Disney animated stuff. Okay. Toy Story was the first movie I saw in theaters, and then every time there was anything animated or you know slightly kid appropriate, we started going to movies. Awesome. And then when I was like ten, uh, my dad was like, "All right, I'm going to show you this movie. It's." A little kind of out there. It's not super uh, appropriate, but I think you're gonna like it. And so um, that was Goodfellas, nice. and that was kind of like the first movie that that blew my mind. And I was like, <laughs> "What am I watching?" Or he's talking to the camera and doing this and jumping around. And just before that, everything I'd seen had been very straightforward. Yeah. Very, you know, like the, the Disney mold, which is awesome, and I love that stuff. But it's just it's very different. But he kind of got me into it, and then when I was like five or six, we started making like little claymation movies together. We would build the puppets and move them frame by frame, and then kind of naturally it just became live action movies with me and my brother, and then me and my friends, friends. and then just kind of. And is well, is any of the work you've done like that? Is it available anywhere where people could see? Or you don't want to see it, man. It's, <laughs> this is like this is horrible stuff. <laughs> no, but it's, it sounds like interesting because like it's. It's not easy, I'm sure, to start making clay models and then making them move. Because I've seen how it works with uh, a couple of other movies that was out recently. That they, which one was out where they're using the clay animations? The Anna Melissa was a good one. That one, yeah. And I saw the whole process, and it's really cool. Like the way, like every step they take, and then it's filmed like it's, it's painstaking it's, work. It yeah, takes hours now. Our stuff was nothing crazy. There was like little two minute, three minute things. But um, I had a friend who worked on Anna Melissa, and he was talking about the uh, the turnaround rate. It's like 40 seconds a week, you know, wow. of animation of just like imagine them doing that. All that work every single yeah, 12 hours a day. How long does it take fun. for them to actually like finish? Years. Yeah. But it's 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 kind of a lost art form. It's very little. You, you don't see many movies like that anymore. And there's something about stop motion. It's my favorite animation. There's something yeah. about it that I think it just looks so cool. It's different from all the other ones, you know. But um, it takes a lot of time. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Wow. You want something good? You got to put in the time. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was the start. That's how we kind of started. Um, and then when I was 12, I really wanted to make a feature. I was like, that's it. I've done all the work. I've paid all my dues. <laughs> it's time for a feature. So uh, summer break, I kind of got together a group of friends. And uh, my dad would drive us to Brand Park every day. That was nice. our location. So we're like, all right, this looks cool. We'll just shoot all around it. So we shot over the course of the summer. And... Uh, it's horrible, but was that like, dark eyes? No, no, no. That was way before. That was called um, Feel Good Island. It sounds like something very different than what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like a Robinson Crusoe, like a band of misfits. That okay. Yeah, I was I was obsessed with Abbott and Costello when yeah. I was a kid. So uh, that was kind of my phase of like all I want to make is slapstick comedies. <laughs> so that was that, and uh, you know it was bad, but I I kind of learned how to get people to to listen to you and kind of sort of craft performances and that's very important basic, yeah did you first start filming on uh eight millimeter digital like no it was a high eight yeah high eight. yeah i guess it's a digital eight millimeter yeah yeah, yeah we had a little high eight camera and um that was the first that that was the only movie i shot on that but um it was like a really bad zoom lens and just 
you know, home video quality. I, I think we all made those mistakes. Yeah, yeah. But I love that yeah. stuff, man. I love having the little tapes. And then you had to, like, I remember I had to put it and kind of sync it up. And you had to put it on VHS. Wow. And then you put that into the computer. And did it on a deck and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I had, like, the physical deck that you would hook it up to. And then it would go into, it was, like, Final Cut 4 or something at that time, whatever it was. It, for me, it was disastrous. Because I, I, my first short I did here was on, uh, it was a mini DV. My God, I had to take it to a lab, get it transferred until I went to one, right? yeah. Until I went to a friend, like my friend, they're part of ARTN, like the network. Yeah. I took it there and they transferred for me. I'm like, they have all the decks and stuff. Yeah, they still have the old stuff. It used they to have be all so much gear. easier. The problem is nobody makes that anymore. But Apple actually has an adapter where I bought it. It was like fifty bucks. I don't think they make it anymore. Where you could connect it actually to a mini DV to my laptop. That's what I would do. Oh, okay. when I had because my afterwards I got a the Canon XL2, which yeah. is a mini DV. Yeah. So I would just hook it up straight into Final Cut, but it took forever, man, because it would capture it live. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you had to play it, and you would actually have to sit there and watch all. It, but there was something good about that because you kind of watch dailies as you're importing. You're making them. notes. Yeah. So by the time you watch, you're like, all right, I've already seen all my footage. I know, you know? what I'm using. Yeah. <laughs> What's Dark Eyes? Dark Eyes was uh, my third feature. Oh. Yeah, I made another one freshman year of high school called Midnight Murder. You're a busy guy. <laughs> I mean, that's I would like I would skip class all the time, man. I would like making movies. I was the kind of guy that like my dad would call and an excuse absences for me, and I'd be like, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go shoot. So that was my entire like middle school and high school. That was my thing. I was just it's very always, productive though. Yeah, I mean, I was I knew what I wanted to do, um, and I just kind of thought. You know, I didn't. I didn't really care about anything else. Yeah. And, um, I wish I had, I did. I feel like I would have kind of maybe gotten to certain places quicker if I took school a little more seriously. But I just that's what I wanted to do, and I was like, this is what I'm gonna do. So just like shooting constantly shorts and stuff in high school, and awesome. luckily I found like really really cool people that were you know into it as well. And I I feel like that's so important to have a like good committed uh, crew. That's it's, everything. Yeah, yeah, it really lifts you up higher. Just, I don't know, having people that uh, don't have the same... Uh, you could have a lot of friends, but, like, not everyone's going to share the same, uh, like... The passion, passion. and the drive. Yeah, yeah, no, there's... And I think, like, as you get older, you realize that you have, like, a few groups of friends. Yeah. So I have my my group of friends from middle school, high school, who have been my friends for 13, 14 yeah. years, and I still hang out with once a week. But that's, like, the people I never talk movies about ever. And, <laughs> and you know what I mean? Those are, like, the back to reality kind of we ground ourselves. And then I have... Like my film school friends who is just like only movies, only this. But I think you need that kind of balance with people you hang out with. If you only talk about movies, it, it kind of becomes, you know, crazy. I think yeah. we're on the same page with that yeah. because our group of friends pretty much, I think it's, one of them or two of them actually enjoy movies. Like everybody it's else. It's just sports. It's, yeah, it's, it's mostly sports. Exactly the same with ours. It's like there's a basketball crew. And <laughs> a crew yeah. After high school, uh, did you go to college right away or did you take like a little break in between? I did. I went to uh, I went to college right away, but... Um, I got very lucky when I was 19, my first year of high school, I sold a pilot to Fox and, nice. um, and I kind of, I was still going to college, but I was only taking a few classes really because I, I signed with an agent, I got a manager and I was just kind of trying to turn up like three or four pilots a year and just constantly getting those out. And, and these are, out. these were features or? There were pilot episodes. It was, series. Oh, series. Yeah, okay. it was that strings or string? string was the one that I sold okay. to Fox. Yeah. That was the first one. And then, um, that, you know, opened a lot of doors. I was okay. able to it just became easier to get people to read my stuff because like when I grew up, I didn't, I don't know anybody in the industry or like my family's not in movies at yeah. all. I don't have any friends or anything. So I kind of came into it blind and uh, that just making that initial contact that still yeah. kind of gave me the opportunity. I got into the writer's guild uh, with representation. It just the only thing that I think 
it elevated everything in such a drastic way was it's like, okay, now I can actually get people to read my stuff as opposed to I was working in a complete bubble, you know, I was like making yeah. stuff. Yeah, because usually stuff. they don't take any like unsolicited. So you, I never you, even tried. Yeah, I've heard that, that that was pointless. So I never even tried doing yeah. that. Yeah, but and then it's like, okay, now at least I can get it still doesn't guarantee anything. You know, of course, it's yeah. like at least I can get people to read my stuff as opposed to I'm just kind of making these features in a bubble and making yeah, stuff yeah. and nobody's ever seeing it outside of like a few film festivals, you know? Michael, would you say Subhuman opened doors for you in a sense? Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where everything started for sure. I was 18. Um, I just finished high school when I shot that. It was a short film that um, I met this guy named Dragos Bergia, a yeah. super talented Romanian actor. And um, I found him on backstage for Dark Eyes, the feature I was doing in high school. Okay. And, uh, we kind of hit it off. We became really good personal friends. And he told me that he'd written this short based on his grandpa's life um, set during the Second World War on the Eastern Front. And uh, it was just like a perfect script for a short film. You know, it's very contained. Kind of it did everything that you want something to do in 10, 15 minutes. So we, you know, did some rewrites and we found someone who had seen Dark Guys and liked it, and he was like, yeah, I'll give you guys a little bit of money, and uh, we shot that movie in, like, nine hours, I think. Was that uh, on location in Big Bear? Or that was in Big Bear. We just rented a cabin that we could find that we couldn't afford to really production design or anything, so we yeah. found something that was built in 19, like, 30, so it was like, okay, the, the electrical outlets, <laughs> it and everything looks great. <laughs> no, yeah. it, I actually saw the short. It looked great. Thank it, you, man. It, it was, like... Very real. Yeah, well, we can't take any credit for that. That was the architect, <laughs> and not the owners. But yeah, we just uh, yeah. So that was that was my first time kind of already working with a, a professional crew. Sure. Like I I hired an amazing DP, Nate Timon, and we went on to do like you know five or six movies together. And um, kind of first time working with actual lighting packages, and we were shooting on the red. Before that, it was just kind of. I was DP, gaffer, I was doing everything, and this was the first time where we had a crew, and I, I was actually able to just kind of, like, sit back and direct instead of awesome. you know, doing driving the truck else. and doing this yeah. and that, you Yeah, because, like, literally, it's that much better. I feel like uh, having a crew and not have to worry about other specific things and focusing on directing or whatever you want to yeah. do, it makes it way better. Yeah, I think early on, even, even like, later on, like, on lower-budget films, you don't really have a choice. Sure. You kind of have You're to limited. do all that like even on this land the latest film yeah. which had a the highest budget I've ever worked with it's like we still had to everyone had to carry equipment in and carry equipment yeah. it's, it's still not unless you have like millions of dollars you're yeah. still on, on that level but I think if you're personally responsible in the headspace of having to do five or six jobs you just don't focus on directing you're just focusing on kind of somehow patching it together and I agree it done, you know I agree and plus you get other uh other uh, points of views too, because like editor does their own thing, a writer does their own thing, and direct all those visions have a major effect onto it. Yeah. So whenever it's not just on you, you you tend to get other other views from Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's some of the best stuff um, in more recent productions has not been my ideas. You know, some of the coolest things, the best moments has been because I've hired. A DP who knows sure. the craft much better than I do, or uh, like crazy talented actors who just come up with something. You know, that, that's I think the difference between professional and kind of doing your own amateur thing is once you have those kind of people, they bring ideas where it's like, all right, that's that's incredible. You know, yeah, it's like definitely. whatever makes the best movie. Yeah. <laughs> it comes together better, I think. Like uh, yeah, I think yeah. so. It's there's a reason that you know it's like everybody's a master of their own field, and you you want to be with those kind of people. You know, you don't want to just be like, oh, I did everything myself, and you know, <laughs> it's not great, but it doesn't matter. I did it myself. <laughs> it's you know? monotone. Yeah. Everything is yeah. just one. But see, that's we talked about this earlier too. It's good to just bounce off, like be open to bouncing ideas off each other. Like a, a lot of times, people just like, get in that mind space where. 
you don't you're kind of like you want you have your own vision but you don't want to listen to anybody else because when you're starting i feel like it's everyone thinks this and you pass through this uh, it's like oh it's my baby so i have to keep it yeah. a specific yeah. way I think there's also this idea of what a movie director is supposed to be, and everybody pictures like this kind of tyrannical. Guy. <laughs> like, this is my way, and yeah. I'm, I'm a genius, and I have this clear. <laughs> and if you if you adapt, then you're not a genius. Yeah. If you change things, then it means you don't know what you want. Yeah. And I think I'm just reading this book um, called The Conversations by Walter Murch, who's Coppola's editor. He did like The Godfather, The Conversation, wow. some mm-hmm. you know the best movies ever, and he was talking about how. He's worked with George Lucas and he's worked with Coppola. And the difference is with Lucas, every single thing has to be like pre-planned and you can't change anything. And with Coppola, Coppola like loves chaos and he thinks the only way to make movies is to set yourself up for everything to be disastrous and to change. I think, <laughs> I there's, like like, I think there's a healthy medium level. Yeah. Just, you know? <laughs> but I think a lot of like what we do is just it's happy accidents. You know, it's things yeah. that happen where it's like you can't – you definitely have to have an idea. And I think if you don't have a vision, then you don't know what no, you're that doing. Helps, there's no point course. for it. Yeah. But I think you have to definitely be open – to things always change, better yeah. things come up. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's you think it's like I did a short um, when I was in UCLA grad school my first year. We did this film and um, where you're kind of everyone is assigned a position. So um, like everyone's directors, but we're crewing on each other's films, right? Yeah. So the first AC, um, great guy, good director, but he's not a first AC, right? So for my, um, it was kind of a two-person scene. For the other person's shots, he buzzed the focus on the the entire coverage for the first half of the scene, right? So I was like, all right, well, that's it. The movie's ruined. I, I don't have coverage on this. But so it's like through editing, we figured it out. It's like, all right, well, it was about a, an AI robot. So we're like, all right, we have this shot of his eye. So we kind of did this thing where he's like readjusting the focus and the girl's like coming in and it ended up making the movie like so much better. But it was yeah. just because we had no choice. It was out of focus. Yeah. So it's like one of those things where it's like it turns out to make it so much better than yeah. just if it had been a back and forth cutting conversation yeah. scene, you know. Wasn't the Dark Knight like the Joker scene that was out of focus? Uh, oh yeah, but I, they, yeah, and they reshot it, but they went with the one that was out of focus at the end. If it works, nobody cares. I mean, like I was watching Goodfellas again last week, and it's like there's this conversation scene between De Niro and um, the guy that has the wig store, whose name I always forget, but it's cutting oh, yeah. back and forth. And you see, like, on one shot, he has a cigarette. And on the other shot, he has a phone. And it's, the continuity is so off. And nobody cares. You, like, every time I know it's coming and I still forget it because the scene is so good. You know, I think it's like, it doesn't matter. If the story's yeah. good, it doesn't matter. No, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, I, you know, it's the funny thing. Like, when I watch movies, I catch that. Sometimes it makes me mad. But then I'm like, you know what? Like, I like stuff like that, man. Like it, even when they talked about, though, they made a big deal about the Game of Thrones, the the like water bottle, yeah. yeah, like uh, who cares, yeah. man? <laughs> well, I just think there's something really cool about. Before I used to be like everything has to be super yeah. sleek and like polished, and you can't. And now I'm starting to like more and more, especially the stuff in the '70s where it's like French Raw Connection looks, and stuff, yeah. where it's kind of like the focus slips, it's a little shaky. It's just something about it that it's like you can kind of see it, the process. Yeah. You know, it's not like. Like, I love Fincher's movies where with his stuff, it's like the camera, they do 90 takes because everything has to be centered all the time. Yes. If it's even slightly off, they'll reshoot it. And then, like, they do the haircuts and CGI and all the... Yeah, like Rooney Mara's haircut in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo yeah. is all CGI. So the bangs don't oh, move. Yeah. So yeah. it's like there's, there's something cool about that, but... Lately, I'm, I'm kind of like I like more of the stuff where you can kind of see it's the real. scenes where you see. Hundred percent, like it looks more realistic. Yeah. You kind of get out of your like when it's perfect. Sometimes it, it might be boring. I don't know. Like I like look at it like like it's it's good depending on the story, but like I like the chaos a little bit. Yeah, it, it definitely depends on the movie yeah. and what you're trying to do. Like for his stuff, I think it definitely his style works. But I'm I'm just kind of drawn more to the other side, you know. 
<laughs> it changes. It no, hundred percent. Yeah, from project to project, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. What's Blacklist for the people that don't know that are so Blacklist to? is this really cool thing that was started by Franklin Leonard, and um, it's pretty much uh, he was kind of realizing that there's a lot of really great scripts being written by people that maybe aren't so big, that don't aren't repped at WME or CA, and they're not getting the kind of exposure they need. So he started this thing called the Blacklist, taking its name from you know McCarthyism and the Blacklist of the fifties, which yeah. is a bad thing, and turning it into a good thing. So it's an annual list of um, unproduced screenplays that's released that um, is. You know, it's now and it's it's been around for a while, but it's kind of the list of scripts that you want to buy that you haven't heard about. Yeah, and most of them have gone on to get nominated for you know writing Oscars and wow. like Itania was on there and a lot of like a lot of big Sundance films have come from that list. So he does this every year and um, it's it's a really cool way to get out. It's like anybody can submit. There's no hierarchy. You just submit. You get a rating. If yeah. your rating is high enough, you just kind of keep moving up. Wow, you know, and that's it. Um, so it's, it was exclusively for features when it started out recently, I think about a year or two ago, they started adding, um, television pilots. So that's, that's what sells was, it was on the pilot. Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, that you, you have to get a membership obviously. No, you oh. just, you just buy, uh, your, uh, what is it called? It's not a rating. It's like an evaluation. Okay. So you just pay it. I think it's like 40 bucks and they read it. And if you score eight or higher, you get three more free evaluations, I think, and then like three months of free hosting. So they just kind of, if you score high enough, they give you free stuff to help you keep moving up, you know? That's a, that it, it's a really it's a really cool system and uh, people take notice of it, you know? it's That's it's incredible. Really cool. I have yeah. to check that out. <laughs> yeah. Because I would always go to Blacklist and read scripts uh, that are produced. And you, I guess you also have scripts on it that are... Does budget a thing, a big budget film on it? Or? No, it's the it's the thing is it's not biased in any way. So okay. there's some movies that it's like, okay, well, these movies don't need the blacklist. They're going to be fine. Yeah. But it's totally unbiased. And okay. that's why you, you see certain movies that end up being, you know, $40 million movies. And then you have certain movies that are, end up being like $300,000 Sundance kind of darlings. You know, it's it ranges all over. Yeah. So, Michael, you, of course, you're a screenwriter. What are some of the steps you take before you write a project? Um, I mean, it's... It's changed a lot throughout the years. Before, uh, when I wrote String and the, my first pilot, with that one, I had this idea. I've, I've always been obsessed with quantum mechanics, especially like string theory, and I'm like a big physics nerd, and that kind of stuff yeah, always yeah. interested me. So I had this concept that I thought was cool, uh, and I just kind of sat down, and I was like, all right, I kind of have this idea. I didn't really have black stories of characters or anything fleshed out. I just sat down, and in four weeks, I kind of wrote the first draft, and then I did one more pass, and that was it. Um, now I just don't write like that anymore because I think the problem with that was it led to so many more rewrites because I hadn't figured out a lot of the things before starting to write it. So yeah. I think it's just kind of creating more problems for yourself down the line. So now I just finished a new pilot and the way I work now is for the last few pilots, I'll kind of spend uh, three to six months of just like a research phase. Yeah. Um, I, every, it's kind of, I love things that are based on something in reality or true stories or, you know, like with selves, it was about a guy with multiple personality disorder. Yeah. This uh, new pilot I just finished, it's set in the 60s in New York, so it's like always very research heavy. So I'll spend three to six months just kind of in the research phase. I'll buy a bunch of books on it. I'll, like for this last one I just found, it's kind of related to the um, to this, this crime story in New York. So I just found like all the FBI tapes and I'll just nice. listen to all that stuff and kind of just put myself in that world. And then the next thing I do is like I figure out my characters because I always do character before plot and then I'll write like a five-page paper on each character from the perspective of the character. So just kind of like what they've been through, their Back story. Stories. Like they're kind of telling you their life yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know, their dreams and their fears and all that stuff. And then once I got that, I'll do an outline, kind of a step-by-step -step breakdown of now this is like the plot and this happens after this. And then 
I go through a lot of rewrites. So, like, we just took this pilot out last week, and this was, like, draft 37 or 38, I think, something like that. I just, I'll give it to my manager, and she'll come back with notes, and then we'll kind of open it up to some, some other opinions, and we go from there. Awesome. Right. Do you still use, like, index cards or anything like that? Or? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, that's like my go-to. I love index cards. I, I, I use Final Draft, and, like, I never got around using their... Uh, they have that feature now. It's, but it's so weird. I, like, you have to physically have it in your hand, and I hate, like, clicking and doing this. And, and then like, it makes it confusing. That yeah. I still, like... This is, I bought those big index cards and I, I wrote this, but like... That's that's a good size. I get <laughs> the small ones don't work. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to the back page, like back of it no. and start writing there. No. This is a perfect size, but... I mean, I love technology, man. Like I love shooting on digital and all that stuff. But when it comes to certain things like books, I can't do like the eBooks and stuff. Yeah. I love when like physically... I try, yeah. yeah. The, the hard part for me, uh, I've done like the audio books myself, but... When I read, like it puts me, like it gets my eyes very heavy, and I, like it puts me to sleep. Oh, really? So I listen to audiobooks when I drive because I drive a lot. So well, that's that's a good use of time. Yeah. 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 But if if you're reading something that doesn't interest you, then I can see how you might. Well, see, no, it, 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 yeah, I see what you mean too. But like after, like I'll, I'll read like a couple of pages, and then I don't know, like it's maybe it's just me, but like it puts me to sleep for some reason. That's why. But well, when I hear audiobooks, like. It's like kind of like hearing music for me in yeah. a way. So yeah, I think it's like everybody's kind of reacts to a different yeah. way to it. You know, for me it's the opposite. If I read at night, then I I won't fall asleep for a long time. Oh, That's wow. why I can't read at night. You have a screenplay you've been working on, uh, Forget Me Not. Is that something that you could talk about or? Yeah, that that was actually the first feature I ever wrote. Well, not counting the stuff that I that I made in high school and yeah. before. That was kind of the first feature I wrote. I was uh, that was my last year of high school, and it was um, my dad was working at the time. Um, at a nursing home. Okay. And it was kind of inspired by this real uh, relationship that he, he kind of had heard about, about this uh, old couple who both had Alzheimer's, but they were sleeping together. And the situation with these homes is when that happens, both kids have to sign off their approval because it's a health risk. Yeah. And it was about this, this couple who one of the kids was okay with and the other one was not. So it kind of created this whole thing. Um, and uh, I just, uh, my grandpa had Alzheimer's when he passed away early stages, but kind of it's, it runs in my family. So we, it's something that we've had to deal with, with, you know, a few people in our family. So it was kind of interested me and, I wrote it um, fairly quickly, and that's how I got my manager to sign me. And this was like the exact same time that I made Subhuman, and yeah. it was kind of lined up. And yeah, we developed it. Um, we had some good cast attached with January Jones, Jonathan Price, um, Cal Pan, Pilopon. So we had a good cast. It's um, it's still in development. It just kind of when I wrote it, I think I had very different interests um, in the kind of stuff I wanted to make. I yeah. was. At that point, I was just kind of obsessed with Alexander Payne, whose stuff I, I still love, but I just wanted to make these kind of like quirky dramedies and these kind of things. And I think over the years, I've, I love watching that kind of stuff, but I just realized it's not really the kind of movies I want to make. So uh, I'm still, you know, it's still in the works. I'm still producing it, but I, I don't think that's what I'm directing. That's incredible. Well, didn't uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino write Truman Romance? But mm. I don't think that's, I, I, th I think he didn't direct that film. No, that was Tony Scott. Yeah. yeah. That was a good movie too. James man. Gandolfini when he's yeah. young. Yeah, that's a great role. That's a, beast in that's that a movie, great role. Well, since you've, you've been into cinema when you were younger, like, is there any particular movies that stuck out to you? Besides Goodfellas, obviously. <laughs> I mean, for me, Scorsese is the greatest of all time, and I know it's, that's for a lot of people, but the reason I like him so much is because uh, the guy works in every single genre and range. Like, he goes from, uh, you know, 
uh, early on, like his feature, Who's That Knocking at My Door? It's his debut feature. I think it's one of the best debuts of all time. And then he'll jump to Taxi Driver, kind of this dark, bleak thing. Yeah. And then he'll go to King of Comedy, which is like a, this absurd comedy. And then he'll do like Kundun, which is this meditative, spiritual thing. You know, so it just the guy jumps all around and he's able to do every genre and still have his style, which kind of blows my mind. You can tell it's his movies, even though there's nothing similar in yeah. you know genre or tone yeah. or anything. So. His stuff I really like. Um, you mentioned Tarantino. I like Tarantino a lot because he pays homage and still makes it his own. You know, so many of his yeah. entire scenes are like taken from other movies, but it's still a Tarantino movie. You know, immediately. Um, I I like foreign directors a lot. When I was younger, I, I kind of I was lucky enough to get into foreign film earlier because of my dad and because mm-hmm. of certain teachers and stuff. Uh, so like I love Bergman stuff a lot. That kind yeah. of I think I still try and take a lot of that and stuff I do. Um, and then obviously like the Mexican new wave, like Alfonso Cuaron and Yuri do those guys are, are beasts, you know? So yeah. Any, any horror? Like I, were you into horror type? So I, I hated, I never watched a horror movie until I was like 19. <laughs> so I thought horror was, I thought it was ridiculous. I never watched any of it. Um, and then I saw the shining when I was 19, it was the only Kubrick yeah. movie I hadn't seen up to that yeah. point because I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to watch this. And then like, it's actually really good. And then uh, around that same time, this kind of new wave of horror started happening. Yeah. It's gotten much better in the last few years, like with Jordan Peele and Ari yeah. Aster. Um, it's like these horror movies that are not just kind of slasher killer movies, mm-hmm. but it's actually about really interesting subject matters. And they just kind of use fear and horror as a way to, to get into that. Like yeah. some Midsummer last uh, week which I thought was like, one of the best I saw the trailer movie. for that was it good yeah it's trippy it's, it's insane because it looked very weird like it looked very it's insane it's yeah. it's like there's not really much horror in it for a horror movie but without spoiling anything it's just kind of it's more about dread and I won't say anything because I can't talk about it without giving it away but <laughs> it's, very, it's, it's very well done yeah oh, okay yeah, so just I think it's kind of horror is becoming uh, it's kind of becoming an art house genre now, whereas yeah. before it was just kind of a cash cow, and it's like they just throw a bunch of kids in yeah. the cabin, let's <laughs> kill, kill them all in an hour and a half, you know? And now it's like, and especially like with us last year, and like you're seeing these horror movies, where it's like, this is really good stuff, man. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it can be amazing, if just just like any genre, you know? Do you see yourself like ever like writing or, or making one? I wrote, I wrote one um, that I haven't made yet, but yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I think it just... It depends on again the the story you're trying to the, what you're trying to say with it, and I think it's definitely an interesting genre. I've just because it's the genre that I've seen the least of growing up. You yeah. know, I've seen so many like I've so watched most of everything else horror. I've probably only seen like fifteen horror movies in my yeah. life. You know, I think it's the one that I still have a lot of homework to do if I'm kind of to verse myself. More. Yeah, I saw noise on uh, Amazon. Well, you went to the festival circuit, of course. Yeah. How did that work? What was the process like? We so that was um, that was my first year UCLA grad project, and I've kind of I've always been very interested in the use of sound in movies. Like all of my movies are designed with a very heavy sound design element. Yeah. So this is about um, the movie's about a deaf girl who meets a guy who doesn't know sign language, so they have to communicate with no language. So it's pretty much a silent movie that kind of jumps between their perspective, and it's something that um, you know obviously it's it connects to to some stuff in my personal life, but I just really liked that aspect of being able to tell a story without any dialogue and still set up a relationship and all this stuff. So we, we did that, we made it, um, and then we it premiered at the Austin Film Festival where it was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize and then did a few more and uh, sent it out to Amazon streaming. And um, it's, yeah, it's one, of, it's one of my favorite things I've done just because, uh, again, I, I love, not to be gimmicky, but I just love 
trying kind of these new cool things, especially sure. when it comes to sound or you know the way you shoot stuff. It was one of the first things where I was like, okay, this is this is interesting, you know. And I'd love to do a feature and just like with no sound. No, that's really cool. I, I personally, I'm a big fan. Like whenever people do like a very unique way of filming like recently like says the searching oh it's yeah. brilliant that's, um, that's um, one of my favorite you would, the last like, five years. Uh, yeah. you would never like think like uh, I'm gonna go here because when I watched the show I'm like oh, uh, it takes place on a laptop I'm like how is that gonna be interesting I messaged the build was yeah. insane man the build was yeah, yeah. Yeah. I messaged him I'm like Sev uh, I need to read that script but I think uh, yeah. since like you have the production company that's behind it it's not something that he can release out or they might release it later, but I would love to read something like that. Just yeah, it's, it's, that was one of the, like, just one of the first things where I saw where I, when I heard about it, I was like, this sounds kind of gimmicky and other people had done it and failed. And I yeah. think they succeeded, you know, incredibly because it it's set up, it's just a conventional kind of noir thriller and he's yeah. not, you take a story that's rooted, it's grounded, it's great. And then, because I think if you try and tell, um, make a movie with that style and you also have just this, crazy story that we're not familiar with so i think they were very smart with that whereas it's kind of a you know kidnapped missing daughter yeah. hunt mm -hmm. to, to find the you know that and then you just add this this boom this element of like it's all on a computer screen yeah and yeah that was that was a really good movie and i can't wait to see yeah this. but like it, that unique way of filming like you said like even just for the sound part of it it's it just makes it that much more interesting like because it's not typical like what's out you know like whenever you see stuff like that it's just for especially people that are not that much into film, I feel like it would be more, more of an attraction. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, cinema is a relatively new art form compared to, like, painting and music and stuff, yeah. which have been around forever. It's Movies have only been around for just over 100 years, you mm -hmm. know? So I think what kind of we're able to do with movies, we haven't even begun to tap into, like, 20% of it. I think it's going to get... Hopefully, you know, if, if movies are still around and <laughs> Netflix doesn't kill it. <laughs> I think there's still so much really cool stuff to, to get into and... Um, yeah, like, you're seeing it now. You're seeing, like, yeah. there's this wave now of just, like, oneers. Nobody ever thought of... I mean, Hitchcock did it with Rope, but it hasn't been to that level of, you know, you're seeing, like, I just saw this trailer yesterday for Sam Mendes' new movie, uh, 1917. It's all oh, one... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a one, two-hour take set during World War One, but it's not pieced together to look like one take. It actually is one take throughout a war wow. scene, you know? Oh. So it's just, like, these crazy things where it's, like, if you'd brought it up, you know, like... In the 1950s, we're like, dude, that's impossible. There's no way you could possibly do that, you know? <laughs> and I think there's more and more. And not even in the way it's shot, in the way yeah. I think we respond to stories. Like, you look at Memento. Like Chris Nolan is one of my favorite directors. I, mean, oh, yeah. I love Chris Nolan. And I think he kind of proved that you can make movies super complicated because people are smart. And, like, Memento, like, that's a, a narrative structure that even 15, 20 years ago, it's like, forget it. Nobody would ever make a movie like that or, or Inception, you know? It's like, it's too complicated, Definitely. but it's not. It's like, once you try and make those kind of movies and realize that people are smart, it's it's awesome. And I think it's going to hopefully go more and more in that direction. Yeah, yeah. I, I We saw, what movie did we see yesterday? Uh, oh, Hobbs and Shaw. Well, he has a, a new trailer that's... Uh, that's the Fast and the Furious spinoff. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Christopher... <laughs> it's it's an action flick. I'm, I'm a little behind on that franchise. Oh, I've only seen the yeah, first. I don't think you're missing. You know what? The first first two, so it, it's good. Like I feel like they're making it into a fairy tale in, in a sense where like so oh, many oh, things. Happen. No, you know what it is. I'm gonna be like, I like action movies, but like I don't like it when it gets too sci-fi, man. Like like I don't want to kill the movie. There's a scene okay. where it's a chase. The motorcycle splits up. It goes down to the ground. Like what the? <laughs> well, like, which think, motorcycle? I think the key is with any action to keep it grounded in reality. That's why I think. 
like the Mission Impossible stuff is so amazing exactly. because not exactly. only do you yeah. know he's actually doing it, but you're like, okay, he's doing it, so it can be done. Yeah, you know, exactly. Not, and I, the same thing with CGI. A lot of problem with CGI is it's not that it looks bad, it's that it defies basic rules of physics and gravity. Yeah. So even if you don't think you know it, like humans are amazingly responsive to what's fake and what's real yeah. and like to the to the rules of nature mm -hmm. so i think that's why it's certain things like that where you're like there's no way this is possible yeah. your brain immediately goes this is bullshit yeah you know i'm like yeah. it's, it's there's funny moments like it's a lot of good action but i'm like when you see stuff like that it's like oh, come on it's a matter they're going to space for the next one are you serious yeah. no man yeah. please racing oh. in space <laughs> are they gonna fly a delorean <laughs> <laughs> oh man I don't know like like you said like Tom Cruise's oh Top Gun we saw the trailer for that the, the new one Maverick yeah that he's guy is he's never gonna that stop guy is that insane man yeah. that I, guy is insane I have this joke where I say like this guy's gonna start playing high school or college movies back again cause he, he does everything no but besides that he does crazy stuff like that what, the last Mission Impossible I did well, that helicopter thing was like nobody was willing to do that insane. even like no, was it that one that he pirates. jumped and broke his ankle one of the Maybe. jumps I think he I mean, made he breaks something he on broke his movie. ankle and then he, he kind of walks with a oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 like yeah. Jesus Christ no the guy is insane man yeah. he's, he's like 50 he's in his 50s 50s man yeah stuff that's like it's, it's insane <laughs> yeah we saw the screening for this land uh, at UCLA thank you for coming yeah that was no that was incredible it was a good time really good thank you for inviting us yeah um and use the same actor as uh, in uh, noise right oh Schwan, yeah. yeah Schwan is a very close friend of mine we so my management company used to also have a acting branch uh since uh recent like a few years ago not a few years like about a year ago they decided to focus just on writer director so they closed okay. the acting branch so back then Schwan was right by the same management company um he's a really talented kurdish actor from sweden um we kind of met at you know the christmas parties for the for the management and uh we wanted to work together forever and noise was the first thing okay and um and then we did this line together and he also wrote this incredible play called syria based on uh his family story when he was five they um they were living in kurdistan and they got visas to move to sweden but to, before they got to Sweden, they had to just spend um, what was supposed to be one day in Damascus, Syria, just waiting for the call from the embassy to say, your visa is approved, you can come pick it up. So it was, but the trick is, it was, he had two brothers and it was his parents, but to get more people into Sweden, because it was not the great situation, you know, yeah. in, in Kurdistan at that time, uh, his parents lied and said all of his cousins were their kids as well. So it was like 15 of them in this little one studio apartment. And it was supposed to be one day, but they ended up getting stuck there for 40 days. And the wow. family like all turned on each other and just like cramped. And so he wrote this incredible play, which we just turned into a feature script. Um, but it's kind of, we, we just hit it off really well, you know, and we just kind of one of those guys that's like, you're talking about building a team, like one of those guys. It's yeah. Like, I always want to work with this guy, you know? It's nice. Yeah. You're getting good vibes with him. Like chemistry works and that's, that's all you need to make something really yeah. Uh, powerful. Yeah. And it's just, again, one of those actors where you kind of give him something and like in noise, they're, um, uh, they can't communicate obviously because the, the woman doesn't speak so they kind of um, they write in a journal and that's how they talk to each other so in the script there was like a few things but Schwan took it and uh, both of them him and TV Carpio the actress just kind of started writing their own things and that whole scene was rewritten while they were shooting it because of the responses of what was in the notebook yeah. and the whole third act of the movie changed because of that and it's so much better than what was written and it's like when you get actors like that and they, they're not afraid to improv, they're kind of not afraid to, even though they've done their homework, they've prepared, it's like, all right, well, this works better, let's leave all that and let's go in this direction, you know, it kind of opens up all these new things. That's cool. And then, but like, see, again, that comes to, like, it's cool that you guys bounce each other's 
like ideas off and you you're willing to change even yeah. if needed that's no, really I, cool. I think that's yeah that's important i mean there's so many things that always come up where it's like it might not be what you planned but it just it's so much better you know and it's like organized chaos that's like yeah. Yeah. filmmaking you know yeah i feel like it's essential to be open you have to have an open mind to really go further in this business uh, for sure because unless you'll be limited to certain things yeah yeah absolutely so uh, you've been traveling. Like you said, you're doing your research here in New York. Uh, is there any other places you visited for either film scouting or just research purposes? I was, yeah, I was recently in, I mean, I love to travel. My, my family is obsessed with travel since like I was young. We kind of every year we get together and we take a family trip, like nice. 15, 20 of us, like my, my cousins, my godfathers, we all get together and we go somewhere every summer. We've been trying to do that. Uh, we've been doing it pretty much since like, you know, since I was like 16, 17 every year. So, um... But travel is just like the reason I love it is because it's you go to new places, you always get new ideas. It's, it's there's something really inspiring about just being in a new environment, and it doesn't have to be far, you know. If, it's literally if you can go to like this new one, um, called Hidden that I wrote with uh, my producing partner Ben Scott, we just went up to Big Bear for like a week and we cranked out the movie. But it's just being in a different environment, there's I think something about that that's very helpful, it makes it so much more real, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we were out in December, we went to Poland, we were scouting um for that one which is set uh during world war ii in uh, september of 39 in krakow so that's we did some scouting for that we're very lucky to have um alan starsky as our production designer he did schindler's list and the pianist so yeah, I saw the that. guy is like an encyclopedia of, of world war. his family his dad actually the movie's about a couple who um opening scene is september of 39 this the, the German army invades Poland, and this um, Polish-Jewish couple realize what's about to happen, so the husband builds a little nook in their wall, and they go into hiding, and then an SS officer and his wife move into the apartment. So the whole movie's in the apartment. So Alan Starsky's father actually hid in a wall during the Holocaust and then escaped. Wow. So he was just the amount of detail, and he took us to Schindler's apartment in um, in Krakow, and just this, just his incredible kind of wealth of knowledge, and it was just like, one of the best experiences of my life. Like the guy pulled up a notebook with like Spielberg's notes on Schindler's so just over wow. lunch. And I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> Check that off your bucket list. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind of, that's been um, the last few months and uh, hopefully that'll, that'll be my first real debut feature, not counting, you know, all of the other stuff that I wish no one ever sees. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the process, I yeah. feel like. Do you is there any particular route you want to go? Like, do you want to do features, or do you want to do like uh, TV? Or I don't. I don't think there's. I don't have a preference. The reason. The reason I like TV a lot is because it moves so fast. You're you're shooting an episode every month. I like. I love being on set. I love the process of it. Mm -hmm. um, like I love. I love everything from the mix to the editing. I just love the actual process of making movies. So the reason I like TV so much is because you're always getting to make stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas in features there can be many years of development in between yeah. movies. Uh, but I just think it just depends on the story. There's certain things where, like this new pilot that I finished, um, The Dive, we started as a movie and we're like, there's just no way that this can fit in, in two or three hours. It's impossible. There's way too much stuff. So I think it depends on the story. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, I, I love I love movies. I love features. I think there's something about going to a theater, seeing that, watching, you know, on a big screen with people yeah. that you have no idea, you've never met before. There's something about that energy that, it's not the same when you're watching it at home, even if it's with a few people. Mm. So, you know, I, I definitely am more biased to movies, but I think there's certain stories that you can tell on TV that it's just impossible to, and, you know, TV's gotten amazing lately. So. Yeah. yeah, man. TV, I don't know, like, uh, Amazon has some crazy shows. Uh, 
Netflix, I still like they're, they're you know what the only thing I really like one of my favorite things about Netflix, Amazon is they do tend to use a lot of new people, which mm-hmm. is really good. Like I'm I'm because you as an actor, like it's good to see newer faces. Like they're giving opportunities to newer faces. Well that's why I like their business model, because they're making so much stuff and because it's not my movie has to make X amount of yeah. dollars because it's we have our subscribers, we have it's thirty million people. What ten uh, ten dollars a month? That's three hundred yeah. million dollars a month of secure income. They don't have to worry about putting you know Jennifer Lawrence or this person because exactly. we have to. It's, yeah. it's like this is a cool story. So this is this actor is the best one for the part. Let's make it with him. You know, we don't need to have the built in fan base. And it, it's, there's a lot of good original content. Yeah. Like like TV show with like like I, I'm a I'm, I'm a big fan of Stranger Things for example. Even it's it kind of takes me back to uh, like Goonies a little bit. Yeah, and, yeah, very early Spielberg yeah. influenced then yeah. It's just it, it's it's good to see that out there, like, and I feel like that's why like nowadays I feel like TV's getting bigger and bigger. Well, it's more convenient. Like everyone's uh, stuck at their home or whatever they come from. No, because back in the day, I think bigger actors like they would look down on it, like TV. Like well, like, because TV. it used to be bad. Like I don't know if you guys saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh but, my god! Uh, like, yeah. It's like that's that's what TV was. You know, it was like not to you know not say anything bad about it, but it's like Gunsmoke and yeah. Bonanza and these shows, which are they're cool for what they are. Yeah. But it's kind of every week. It's the same thing. It's very procedural like all right this is the bad guy we're gonna catch him at the end we catch him nothing ever changes in the character arcs everyone's always the same from episode to episode and that's why actors were like we don't want to do this shit like we want (laughs) want, you know we want good roles yeah and i think as that changed like starting with the sopranos and then uh, later breaking bad stuff i think actors realize okay this is now there's something very interesting because i can play this arc over 10 hours 13 hours that i can't do in, in two hours you know so just a different it's kind of more subtle it's slower like if you watch kind of tony montana's change in scarface yeah. it has to yeah. change much quickly because you have two hours and then you yeah. see walter white and it's like step by step <laughs> you see the change yeah. you know yeah until the end yeah that, that was a good one to break in bed I, I really like that one that's yeah that's that's my second favorite show of all time after well, the sopranos well, oh me yeah that, that's seen, the only show I've seen like seven Sopran- times. Uh, Sopranos, I think each episode I might have seen it like maybe 20 times. The, like the, last, the last six episodes of The Sopranos and especially yeah. the ending I think are just perfection from beginning to end. What did you think about the actual like the ending part where it just goes stuff? I mean, I think it's, it's very clear. I don't think there's any room for ambiguity. There's, I mean, I guess spoiler alert it's been like 15 years <laughs> there's this great thing we're just gonna talk about Sopranos for five, five seconds yeah, because yeah. I love it so much there's this great thing in the last season where Bobby his brother-in-law yeah. talking and Bobby's like they say when you get shot in the head everything goes black you don't see it yeah. coming and I think it's like it's set up right before and then that's exactly what happens everything goes black so like they've always interviewed David Chase and he always says everything is very clearly in there there's no ambiguity if you look at it the answer is there you know stop asking me about yeah, yeah. <laughs> after like 15 years guys will leave me alone yeah. but it's just that it's such a smart show and it's just the it use is. of music and every like if you uh, when I when I watched it for the first time I was kind of obsessed with like the fan theories of the endings so, yeah. like you watch the YouTube videos and every the framing of every shot the use of like sound effects all of these things are everything has a purpose nothing is just thrown in there cavalier yeah. you know I'm looking forward to actually the prequel the movie. movie yeah, oh, what is it? The man. Many Saints of Newark. Yeah, yeah. yeah and his like, son is actually playing him. That's that's never happened with, before. That's cool. Yeah, that's he so looks, cool. He like looks exactly like a man. Yeah. yeah. I, I told this. I, I don't know if I told this story. So one time I was at a Kings game. I, I go. I'm in line for the bathroom, and I see this guy. He's really big, standing in front. I'm like, wait, that guy looks familiar. I go like this. It's James Gandolfini. I'm like, okay, should I say something? And then, but he's with his son, the, the one that's gonna play Michael, him. Yeah. I'm like, no, man, I'm not going to be that guy. To tell yeah. him, like, you don't want to uh, ask for a picture. But then, the like, line. you know what was the messed up part? Like, 
I don't know if, if it was a month months after or like a couple of years passed and then the passed whole away, yeah. yeah I'm like oh man that, like, I, I had the same situation I've, re- I've regretted it since we, I went to see um, God of Carnage he was doing a play yeah. here which is my favorite play of all time yeah. and he was uh, he was walking out in the back and he was there but same thing he was with some people I was like I don't want to interrupt he's talking and I was like I wish I shook his hand man. Uh, like, I was, especially in the bathroom I think that's a good way to get punched or something yeah, don't, don't go <laughs> while he's taking a leak and they're like can I shake your hand no, but no, this let was, me get a picture we hadn't reached the bathroom this was like uh, you know how where it's like a line outside yeah but I'm like no I'm not gonna be that guy so my dad is like James Gandolfini's doppelganger he looks exactly like him yeah, yeah, yeah. like ridiculous like him so anytime like we go on, we've had to deal with this over time like we know <laughs> when we go on like we're on a cruise once and this, these people come to me like Mr. Gandolfini can we take a photo with you and we have to deal with it like every once in a while because <laughs> he looks cool, so man. much like him if yeah. you want to buy me a drink uh, <laughs> I'll take a donkey yeah, does he drive an Escalade too no <laughs> that's the only thing missing <laughs> you know they, I think they auctioned off his Escalade too uh sold for a lot too man oh, the actual one did. he autographed it but yeah, yeah. yeah that was that guy was a, a legend his, that, that yeah, performance man. is just and when you see his interviews and you see him in real life he's nothing like that character no you know? no he was a method actor though yeah, yeah he was hardcore he was a, man though like I, I i don't know if you get out of, got a chance to see it i think it's on amazon right now behind the scenes stuff of the sopranos and you'll see him like when he's getting into character like he's standing next to the escalator he starts like just punching it randomly like i guess to get pissed wow. It, it was, and then he would keep like a rock in his shoe to keep, like, if he needs to get angry, he would just step, step on it hard. Yeah, that's cool. That's brutal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Michael, did you direct any uh, TV uh, episodes or? No, I haven't done any TV. Um, nothing in TV yet. Uh, I obviously love TV, and I'm hoping if uh, with one of these pilots, I'll, I'll get a chance to direct something. But. Um, you know, it's kind of, uh, at least with pilots, it's always a very established director that's brought in to sure. set the mood and the tone. And um, uh, Sam Ismail, the creator of Mr. Robot, was doing a masterclass at the Writers Guild uh, a while back. And he was talking about how for Mr. Robot, like he had already done an indie feature that had done pretty well called Comet. He created it and everything and he still kept fighting and they wouldn't give him the pilot. You wow, know? that's so tough. It's it's really tough uh, for the... And I understand on the network's part, it's, yeah. it's setting up the whole tone and everything of the show. You have a lot on the line. Uh, but he got to direct the second episode, you know? So like, it works. Yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> but that Mr. Robot, even though I didn't watch this last season, like, it's a very good show like it just, i loved it i haven't seen anything except for the first one it's I, I just kind of like fell behind but i loved the first the season. first season the second was not bad too it, afterwards i feel like it just i don't know like it didn't do it for me anymore i don't it, know it felt more like a limited series and it was, yeah. it was a movie and then oh had, it was yeah and the agency was like let's turn it into a tv show it was supposed to be a movie and i think you could see some of that yeah uh, i've heard in later seasons you could see that it's, it was really meant to be kind of a it shouldn't have been pushed thing. that long yeah that's definitely. what they were saying about uh lost but i, I loved it Lost was my that's, that was like the first TV show that I really watched and I, I loved Lost. It was incredible. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being stuck on an island like that. I don't yeah. know, man. Not if you're uh, not Except living. For the polar bears, <laughs> yeah, the polar bears that never show up after the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> but see, the the, uh, the ending was the I think the craziest part where it's pretty much spoiler alert, but like everybody's dead. Not, yeah. Know. Well, I love how it's watching things has become so different now with the internet and with Twitter and stuff because yeah. before you just watch something and the only like even with I remember like the Sopranos and stuff the only conversation was people would just kind of talk about it after they saw it yeah. but now like with Game of Thrones there's people dissecting oh it and this and that yeah. so everybody figures everything out and I think it's cool that you get to have the conversation, but like with obviously the big reveal with Jon Snow, not to say what it is, but with that, it's like people had been theorizing. You about can't, it for yeah, so long. you couldn't even go on social media no. because like if you if you didn't watch it on that day, yeah, 
you could it, like, it would have been ruined for but you. I think it also puts you in a really weird position as like a writer creator because you're like alright people have kind of guessed all of my twists it's like yeah. now how do I if I do what people guess it's like oh that was expected if I do something just to change it it's like it doesn't really it, it, it yeah, puts you in a weird position sense. of yeah. you now have to also deal with the audience feedback while you're making it which is you know I don't know and did you guys hear about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie and like no. the trailer came out and audiences didn't like the design so the director was like alright we're gonna go back and redesign the whole movie even though wow. it's done and change the entire look of the character, you know? And it's like, okay, but at a certain point, it's like, this is not, you know, it's... That's it's, not what you're supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, we're making movies. There's a certain vision to it. It's not, okay, everybody wants this, so let's just do that, you know? I don't know. That's when I, I feel like it, it just... Uh, there's no meaning behind it. It just becomes too... I feel like... I don't know if it's the right term, but like, I, feel, I call it like corporate. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, like, the soul is gone. Like, yeah. if you have a vision for it, I feel like just you got to go that route. Yeah, there was a certain, I think, way of making movies that kind of hasn't really been around since the 70s was like, there was, it was this little moment where these kind of crazy outside the box filmmakers got like the keys to the kingdom, like Scorsese and Coppola and De Palma and Spielberg, and they got to make these huge budget movies that are really like, now you couldn't justify spending more than a million dollars on them because they're pretty much art house movies, you know, but I just think that was kind of this era that's completely gone now. Because now it's it's all about foreign sales, and you have to check these boxes. It's just it's become so much more risk uh, oriented, and I think there's definitely a lot of movies that. But the upside of that is, I was you know joking about Netflix earlier, but then you have Netflix coming in and financing movies that would not get made anymore. Like nobody would finance The Irishman, you know, Scorsese's movie until Netflix yeah. came along because it's like. But I'm surprised it's like you've got just a cast alone. Like you gotta just yeah, but it's like a hundred and twenty million dollar mob movie. You know? it's, like, <laughs> it's like cost the same as The Avengers, and it's just people talking in diners. You know, so it's it's I get it. But I can't wait for that movie. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a great script. What did you think of uh, the ending for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I loved it. I loved it. You know what threw me off, man? Like I'm like I, I know what like I know the story, so I'm watching. I'm like, wait a minute, that's that's not what happened. Because well, that's I think he's kind of become this guy who he, not early in his career, yeah. but after Inglorious Bastards, he's now become the guy of revisionist history. So I was expecting it, oh. but I was like, I don't think he'll do it again. But because but I was like when I saw it, I was like. I actually love this, and even yeah, though I expected yeah. it, and it's kind of this—I uh, mean, it's in the title. It's Once Upon a Time. It's like this fairy tale. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to spoil anything, but yeah. that last image, there's something just so haunting wow. about knowing what happened and watching it with the context I, of that. Honestly, like I don't get to like I'm sitting there, I'm like I—I I don't want to see like that happen. You know, I'm like feeling yeah. nervous. I'm like I don't want that. And then when that happened, I'm like, oh, that's so freaking good. It's like uh, you get that. It's like that fulfilling. It's, it's like, yeah, it's catharsis. It's, like, it's, it's like, yeah, he, I don't know. It's There's something about And it, I definitely think it's one of the slowest movies. And about, I, I've only seen it once. I have to see it again uh, next week. But about halfway through, I was like, I don't know. What's, what's happening? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, the beginning Why part. are we watching this? It's kind of slow. And then when the ending came, I was like, all right, I get it. That everything was just leading up to yeah. the movie that's that about so the ending. Incredible. Yeah. That, yeah. That's how I felt. I'm like, okay, this is. Uh, I know it's Tarantino, but like, what the hell is going on? Until yeah. you see that ending, you're like, oh, it all makes sense. Yeah. Leo's character is fucking Leo's hilarious, man. Like Brad Pitt's. Brad Pitt to Brad Pitt, man. man. Uh, and the, the wife situation was even funny. I'm like, the I Italian can't. Italian wife. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a really good cast. I mean, again, he's, he's one of those directors that is just like, he, I don't know, everything he does, there's yeah. something so unique and specific about it. There's, I think, very few people that... Was this his last movie, though? He said he's doing one more. One more, okay. Because it was a 10 total? He said yeah, it was well, he counts Kill... It's, he's already made 10, but he counts Kill Bill as one. Okay. So he says it's nine 
ten, but you know, Steven Soderbergh has said like fifty times he's retiring, and then he comes back. Yeah. <laughs> Another hundred minutes. Yeah. Hopefully, he keeps making them. I love his stuff. Yeah, well, that's crazy. Though. I, I was reading something about Tarantino where um, he was going to start doing theater or some other productions. He actually bought a place in Glendale. Oh, what? our friend's a office. Oh, f- okay. Funny Let story. me say this story. Okay, so my friends have office. Okay. And then, uh, so uh, I set up their security camera. So I, I have the footage on my phone. Okay. All right, so I'm looking at it. He calls me. He's like, did you see the cameras? I'm like, no, why am I going to see the He's like, go look at this time. I go look. I'm like, it's Quentin Tarantino. I walk in. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, what is he doing there? It's like, I think he's going to buy the place. I'm like, what? Yeah, so th- there's a couple of buildings on this street. I'll tell you. Okay. Um, he bought the whole thing. And I think he's, he's going to use it as a theater? No. Uh, it's like warehouse or like props and offices, stuff like that. It's a production. Yeah. yeah. But it's a, it, okay, so the name of the street is cool. And then if you see the buildings, you'll understand why. Like, it looks very... Uh, you could actually shoot some stuff there, too. Like, it's wow. so nice. Well, they yeah. did. Uh, I've been saying this forever, Mike. Glendale is the best city in the world. And this, <laughs> that's Tarantino's a- coming to Glendale now. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, but that was the craziest thing. I'm like... And then I'm like, did you at least... Because my brother had a... Well, they have a Pulp Fiction post. Okay, this was the other funny thing. So they had a Pulp Fiction poster hanging there okay. in, the, in the, one of the offices. And he's like... Did you guys know I was coming and you, you guys planned it? <laughs> They're like, no, you know, we're a fan. I'm like, why didn't you have him sign, sign it, man? It. Oh, man. Yeah, but it was crazy just to yeah. see him, man. We were, so uh, he was shooting Once Upon a Time uh, in Westwood. Uh, oh. So uh, right by UCLA. So we were there yeah. a lot. Uh, so we, we kind of saw the whole shooting of that film. They were right by UCLA for about four or five weeks. Wow. The guy's intense, man. It's probably him and Robert Richardson, the DP. It's just like this crazy, focused, intense process. But that was really cool, man. So we were just like walking down, uh, like going to UCLA. Yeah. And, it, and the whole streets were like 1969. Like the wow. cars, it was like, it was like we're being cars, back man. in 1969. Yeah, it was awesome. insane, yeah. <laughs> the Cadillac was one of my favorites in that whole movie, man. That's a nice car. Yeah. So what does Michael do uh, outside of movie? What do you do to get away? Like, do you have a hobby or? I mean, I you know, movie. <laughs> <laughs> movies is your life. I, I yeah, I like I like movies too much. I think it's like yeah. I mean, I like you know. I guess not. <laughs> I don't but know. I like, do you, I like are, do you go to like uh, like me me and my brother? We do we we always try to do like a, at least once a week. We go to movies like watch different type of movies. Or do you do you go regularly? I go movies? a lot. Yeah, I go yeah. to movies a lot. I. I mean, I think definitely from October to December a lot because that seems to be when, and the summer when like the good stuff come out. I yeah. think the winter fall is kind of a dead period mostly, so yeah. I might not go as much. But uh, like I have Criterion Channel now, so that's kind of been the obsession lately. It's like they have the full Criterion catalog, and pretty much all of the movies that were on Filmstruck are now here. Oh. So they have like really cool kind of insane obscure movies you've never heard of you know like from the southern era what is it like what is it called it's called the criterion channel it's i think it's like 60 bucks a year and it's like a streaming service but oh. it's only classic movies foreign wow. movies like the whole criterion collection it's amazing so like all of these like movies that i've always heard about and meant to watch and have never really watched they're yeah. all here now so i'm kind with of with subtitles probably yeah yeah with okay. subtitles nice. um it's it's really it's really cool like i've, I've like almodovar is one of the directors who i've never really seen much of his stuff so they have his full catalog i'm going through that now and they have like Kiarostomi and like these really cool things that you'll never find on Netflix or, or Amazon like they've kind yeah. of bought up and put on there you know it's oh, incredible that's cool. yeah. and uh, for our listeners uh, you have uh, Instagram are you pretty active on social media yeah I think so <laughs> and you got your you have your web- website where people can see your work or, like yeah. some yeah, stuff yeah, you yeah, did yeah website com and uh, Instagram I'm at just Michael Loyan. Michael, thank you so much for coming. Michael, thank you guys. Thank you very much. And again, we would love to have you back on any upcoming projects you have. And this was discuss awesome. Yeah. More. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you guys, and uh, good night. <laughs>